Welcome to worship this morning. Uh, it is good to be with you on this beautiful Sunday. A few announcements before we get started. Uh, first, you'll notice that we have this block uh, blocked off, and we are having uh, a lunch together. And all you have to do is, is walk over there and eat. Uh, we, you don't have to bring anything. So please join us for uh, a time together to, to be together and enjoy each other's company um, right after the service ends. Uh, There are a couple more announcements. The ladies are meeting tomorrow night. It's for all the women in the church at 6 p.m. in the choir room uh, for a light supper and hearing from Pastor Heath Cross. Um, We are grateful to have the Cross family with us this morning and this weekend. Um, So please, if you're a lady, come to that tomorrow night if you're able to. to give you a quick update, uh, I thought of this this morning. I thought it was good. Um, when you buy a house, you go into, what's it called? Escrow. escrow. Our church is sort of an escrow with uh, Heath. So <laughs> Heath is, uh, is going to be going to our presbytery meeting on Tuesday, and the presbytery is going to vote to finally call and approve Heath to be this church's senior pastor. So be praying for him um, on Tuesday. It's going to be great, but uh, there's still some, some nerves there, of course. Uh, but we are looking forward to having Heath, um, of course, here to be the senior pastor moving forward. Okay, last thing before we have our seniors come up. Um, you'll notice the last two announcements on the bulletin are rather large. Uh, take a look at them if you haven't signed up for a picture to be in the directory, for the church directory. And also, if you have a child, sixth grade and below, there is an event coming up in June that you can put on your calendars to make. Um, This morning, we are going to recognize our seniors. So I'm going to have them come up, and I'm going to call their names. I'm going to give them each a Bible, and then pray for them. So we're grateful for them. Uh, We'll have David Caperton, Kellen Hill, Carolyn Hogue, Macy McNeil, and Grayson Skelton. Come on up. You all can stand here, and I'll hand you Bibles. Here you go. Grayson, Grayson, there he is. Here you go, David. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'll stand on the end. I <laughs> uh, just want to say a couple things. Uh, as a church, we're grateful for each of you. Um, you all have had an impact on us, uh, and we are grateful for you. Um, this body of believers is committed to you and to your life. Um, we are committed to answering the phone when you call, uh, to encouraging you, um, to growing with you. And uh, we want to help you and encourage your faith. Um, So that is what this church is committed to doing. Uh, Again, we're thankful for uh, your lives and the way God is working in you. Um, This Bible that you have is is a gift from the church. Um, It's it's a gift. Um, So would you all pray with me, and then you all can sit back down. Um, Please pray with me. God, we pray that these young people would gain Christ and be found in him. Um, We pray 
that in the good decisions and the bad and the future, that through faith that they would know you and the power of your resurrection. Um, that they would, by any means possible, attain the resurrection of the dead, as Paul says. And that we pray that they would press on um, in the days and years ahead um, to make Christ their own. Because, Jesus, you have made them your own. We pray that you would help them to strain forward to what lies ahead, to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for these young people, and we ask that you would bless them, bless their future, and that you would encourage this church to be um, closely a part of their lives, encouraging them over the years ahead. We thank you for this time to recognize them, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming up. Should we clap for them? Let's clap. Welcome. Sit down. Thank you. We'll take a few moments now before uh, we begin with our worship service to quiet our hearts and our minds as God brings us into his presence by his spirit. We'll do that now.
Would you please stand for our call to worship from Psalm 96, verses 7 through 13. This is God's call. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Uh, let's ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Let's worship with him 115, all creatures of our God and King, him 115.
God, we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three and one. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bless this worship service, that you would fill this place with your glory, and that you would lead us to worship you as you are due in adoration and praise. We thank you again for this church body to worship together during this time on this beautiful day. Would you lead us now in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Um, last month, uh, our beloved Robert Higginbotham came to know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ face to face. And we'd like to take a moment this morning to remember him publicly in our worship service uh, so that we and his family would be encouraged and comforted. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And so we're going to have uh, Elder Roger Caperton read a memorial that the session uh, has written uh, for this moment. Whereas the most holy, wise, and powerful providential hand of our loving Lord led our dear brother, fellow servant, and friend, Mr. Robert Higginbotham, to the very throne of grace on March the 2nd, 2023, and whereas Mr. Higginbotham served as a most diligent deacon beginning on September 11th, 2011, and elder beginning on December 9th, 2018, in the First Presbyterian Church of Louisville, Mississippi. And, whereas, Mr. Higginbotham's true Christian concern for the work of the session and the members of the First Presbyterian Church of Louisville served as a worthy example of all elders and presbyters. And, whereas, Mr. Higginbotham's warm, friendly, and godly example will be missed by those who have known him, respected him, and valued his advice and opinions. And, Whereas, Mr. Higginbotham's witness of love and service to the Savior and his commitment to the Word of God served as a personal exhortation and encouragement to those who knew him. And, whereas, we can hardly do more than express our inestimable loss in Mr. Higginbotham's death and yet our firm confidence of his presence in the very glory of God this day and forevermore, offers the consolation of the gospel of Christ to us in our loss. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the session of the First Presbyterian Church, representing the members thereof, expresses our heartfelt sympathy in the death of Mr. Higginbotham, our appreciation for his untiring service and exemplary life, and our gratitude to the Sovereign Lord for allowing us the joy and blessing of having known, loved, and labored with this beloved servant of the Lord. Respectfully in Christ, the session of First Presbyterian Church, Louisville, Mississippi.
like to take a few moments to uh, pray. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, to you belongs all glory and strength. And we've come into your courts this morning with our humble offering of praise. We worship you, Lord, in the splendor of holiness, and we, we tremble before you. We know the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved because you reign, God. We rejoice. We are glad to be in your presence, Father, Son, and Spirit. Would you bless this time by strengthening our faith, and encouraging our hearts. You know each of our stations. Some of us are in deep sadness. Some of us are on the mountaintops of joy. And you know, Lord, each one of us. So would you help your people? Would you help us? Lord, we are grateful for the people that you have placed in this church. And we remember them in prayer. We are thankful for the safe delivery of Emma Fern Moody. And we pray for Heather and Charlie that you would uh, show your joy to them during this time. We pray for Cal, for Flint, for Levi as they uh, rejoice uh, in their new sibling. God, would you be glorified and honored by uh, this life God, we thank you for the Cross family, uh, for them taking time to be here this weekend. Lord, we pray for Heath as he goes before Presbytery on Tuesday, that you would give him great comfort, that you would give him great peace as you um, have led him here and to the call of First Presbyterian Church. Would you bless that time on Tuesday and make it a time of rejoicing? Lord, we pray again for our graduating seniors this week as they uh, take part in different ceremonies and events and dinners and events with family. Lord, would you give them just a taste of your joy in them? Would you show them how much you care for them through their family, through their friends, through their schools, through their church? God, you have blessed them, and would you continue to bless them as they go forward? Lord, we are thankful uh, for this morning, uh, for the time we get to spend in fellowship together with uh, the Lord's table and then with lunch. So would you bless these times? Would you strengthen our friendships together? Would you form new relationships even as we gather together uh, over the banquet table? God, we are grateful to be in your presence. So would you continue to lead us by your Spirit? and be honored by our thoughts, our words, everything that we do this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please pray with me. Lord, on days when we want to get out of bed and days when it's hard to get out of bed, when days are good, days are uh, deeply saddening, you call us to trust you and to keep on trusting you. And so as you call us to give, we entrust our tithes and offerings to you. On days when we are clear about your plan and days when we are confused, you call us to trust you. So would you make use of these tithes and offerings for your kingdom work, even when we don't know how uh, you will. Lord, you are faithful, you are good, and you will do more than we can ask or imagine. So would you bless these tithes and offerings again, we pray. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with hymn number 327, hymn 327, which is One Day He's Coming. Let's sing together.
Well, it's, it's great to be back uh, with you all again, very much so. And uh, we're going to open our Bibles now to the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians. And we will read Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Before we read it, let me pray for us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for giving us a beautiful day today, but whether the day was beautiful or not, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever, and you are kinder to your people than we deserve, and so we bless you for this, and bless you now that you've given us a clear word from heaven in your holy scriptures, so please teach us now, instruct us, encourage us, fill us up with the good food that is the word of God. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1, hear God's word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And this ends the reading of God's Word. We're not really going to exhaust this section by any means. The main thing I want to point out to you from this text today is that Paul views the Christian life as a life of sowing and reaping. And he's calling Christians to sow good things, to sow positive thoughts, positive attitude, good deeds, to sow the gospel of Jesus Christ into other people's lives. But he acknowledges that in this life of sowing and reaping that there are obstacles to this that, quite frankly, make us want to give up. And so I want to look at a command that he gives us here to keep us sowing. Three points. We'll talk about the command itself, why it's hard to keep this command, and how we can find the strength to do it. Well, what's the command? It is, do not, do not grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That is actually the first verse that I ever memorized. Uh, as I became a Christian when I was 19, 
I heard that somebody say that verse, and I said, I need to memorize that. And uh, boy, was I right, but nonetheless, I won't get into that. Paul has written a pretty harsh letter to the Galatians here. Uh, the young people, they would say it's, say it's savage or based or something like that. He's, uh, I mean, he's kind of tearing them up. He's rebuking them. He calls them fools at one point. So at one point, he's threatening curses upon them. Uh, but Paul hasn't given up on them. He still has hope for them. He just wants them to keep going and not to give up and not to give in to the false teaching that's around them, to the immorality that's around them and the like. So he says, don't grow weary. Just keep going. Weariness is one of the great enemies of the Christian and of the Christian life. The Greek word that Paul uses that we translate weary literally means to be eviled out or to be overcome by evil. It's just, I've seen so much bad. I'm just eviled out. And uh, man, I can get up in the morning, start going through my news feed and feel eviled out before I even get out of bed if I choose to do that. Being eviled out, being wearied as you're trying to do good, but it just doesn't seem like good things are happening. You're trying to do good, but you're not getting the results that you want. You're trying to do good, but it just feels like you're surrounded by so much bad. And the result is, you get weary. Everybody talks about being busy and tired. And I ask people how they're doing. Top two answers, maybe. At least two of the top five. Well, busy, I'm busy. Another one, just, just tired. But weariness isn't so much about being busy and tired. Weariness is the kind of tired that has nothing to do with how busy you are. It's not a physical fatigue. It's not a yawn kind of tired. It's a sigh kind of tired. Just, I bet some of you done that, done that this morning. I may have heard a couple of you do that this morning. You may have heard me do it this morning. I, don't, I think we, we sigh so much we don't even realize that we're sighing. Weariness is spiritual. It's emotional. It's volitional. It's something that happens on the inside of us. Weariness is being tired, but it's being tired on the inside. It's trying to do good. It's trying to do what it, what's right, but you say, Lord, I'm just tired on the inside. And Paul says, don't do it. That grows. Don't let it grow. You know, a good example of being tired on the inside I came across a number of years ago was Pablo Casals, world-renowned cellist. He's passed on now, but he was mountain climbing in California, and a rock smashed his hand. And uh, those hands were kind of valuable to him and to his career, and he says his first thought after that rock came down on his hand wasn't ouch or wasn't oh the pain. It was, thank you God, I will never have to play the cello again. <laughs> and this man loved the cello. Right? The cello was his life. He didn't really want to stop playing the cello. You know what he wanted to stop? Being tired on the inside. It was the pressure to constantly perform and live up to the hype that his reputation had earned. It was to live up to the constant treadmill of performing in front of others and saying to yourself, you know, am I really doing any good? Am I really making any difference in the morning? And so you just, if I never have to play the cello again, thank God, it's okay with me. That was him. He was tired on the inside. And so Paul's asking us this morning, how are we? How are we? 
and he's giving us command. If that's you, if you're inner life is a sigh right now, stop it. Don't do it. Build up spiritual life and energy on the inside of you. Don't allow yourself to grow weary. But that leads to number two. Here's the problem. Why it's so hard not to grow weary. Because when Paul tells, if Paul wrote this directly to me and said, Heath, do not allow yourself to grow weary, that's like telling someone who hasn't slept in a week, don't be tired. Don't be tired. Everything's okay. Well, I haven't slept in a week, Paul. I'm living in a sinful, fallen world. I'm surrounded by evil on the outside of me and the constant temptation to evil on the inside of me. How am I not supposed to grow weary? This world is just so full of so much to weary us. I mean, if you just think about in the text the process of sowing and reaping that Paul's calling us to, just think about the problems with that in life that can weary you. Number one, he says, sow because in due season or at the proper time you will reap. And I say, I want the proper time to be right now. I want to sow, and I want to get immediate results. But Paul's saying, no, sowing and reaping, it's a process. We actually have to wait. Delayed gratification. And we all know how terrible delayed gratification can be. Um, if I were to offer you, this, this has been proven in psychological papers, if I say I will give you $10 today or wait a month and I'll give you $11, 99% of the time, what are you going to do? You're going to take the 10 now. Why not? You don't want to wait, but it's an extra dollar. You could, maybe you could buy, some, well, the Dollar Tree is $1.25 now. I don't know what you could do with a dollar. I should, have made, I should have made the sum a little higher, but you get the point. It's hard not to grow weary because the results aren't always immediate. Secondly, sowing involves seasons. It's wonderful. Today is a beautiful springtime day, and the sun is shining. And you know what? Yesterday, it was a miserable, ugly day, and the rain was falling down. Sowing involves seasons. There are springs to sowing, but there are also winters involved in sowing. For every spring, there's a bleak midwinter. And if, if the sowing Paul is calling us to is spiritual sowing, which it is, doing good deeds, good thoughts, focusing on the gospel, sharing the gospel, if it's a spiritual sowing, that means that there aren't just going to be physical winters. There are going to be spiritual winters in our lives. And, you know, I really wish someone would have told me that when I was a young Christian. And uh, you high school seniors, it's a good reminder. Uh, you're going to have winters. I went off to college right after high school, had no idea what I was doing, and practically lost my mind, but that's a story for another time. But when I became a Christian after that first year in college at 19, I remember being baptized as an adult, a young adult, but an adult, I literally, I can remember lying in my bed the night before my baptism and having the thought, Heath, once you go into those waters, you're never going to sin again. And I really believed it. And then what happened? Well, you know what actually happened was it was in a Baptist church and uh, the deacon who was supposed to fill the baptistry, you know, swimming pool-sized baptistry, forgot to put water in it. And I sinned. As soon as I walked in the door and the pastor told me, Heath, I'm so sorry, we forgot to put water, I sinned immediately because I was legit angry. I had to wait a week, and then I was baptized. And, you know, there was still hope. I hadn't been baptized yet, so there's still hope. I won't sin again. And then I was baptized, and I'm sure I've sinned before I was out of the door, you know, out of the door of that service. But those early Christian years, they were still, it was still springtime for several years, several years. And I was growing, and it seemed like I was getting, becoming more holy. I was... My desires were being more aligned to God's 
law and God's will, and it was wonderful. And then I took a seminary class. Yes, I was in seminary where we had to read something like 1,300 pages of the Puritan writer John Owen in a semester for two credit hours. And I suddenly became weary. These, uh, I mean, it was great material, but it was being fire-hosed at us so strong, I didn't have the inner capacity to deal with it. And I went to one of my seminary professors, a godly man named Knox Chamblin. And I said, Dr. Chamblin, I'm, I'm, just, I'm getting tired on the inside. And what do I need to do? Because I hadn't experienced it. And he had one recommendation for me, and it was a very strange recommendation, I thought, at the time. He said, you need to start reading C.S. Lewis. And I had never read any C.S. Lewis. And I had been warned against C.S. Lewis uh, by a fundamentalist preacher on the radio who said C.S. Lewis was evil because he smoked a pipe and he drank beer. And uh, I came from a slightly fundamentalist background, so I had shied away from him. But I started reading C.S. Lewis. I started reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my then four-year-old daughter. And Aslan reminded me who Jesus was. And it was so beautiful. But more than that, I read the screw tape letters. And C.S. Lewis introduced me to something I wish I'd been introduced to about 10 years earlier. And that was what he called the law of undulation. The law of undulation is that human beings, because we're spirits and we're bodies and we live, you know, part of, part of the life we live is spiritual and part of it is physical and we live in a fallen sinful world and the like. The best, the closest proximity to steadiness we can ever, receive, ever achieve is still looks something like this. It's always up and down. What he was saying was, you're going to have spiritual springs and winners. And the sooner you come to understand that, the better off you will be. Because Satan is constantly going to be tempting you. He's going to tempt you when things are up, when things are high, because he's going to tell you, it'll always be like this. And then when things go down, he's going to say, God hates you. God does not like you. That is why you are struggling. And you know our default setting as sinners who were born dead in trespasses and sins and cut off from God, our default is, is to believe him. I must be down because God doesn't like me. And C.S. Lewis says, no, 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 no. Here's a quote from the screw tape letters. God wants them, and by them he's talking about us, believers. God wants them, and this is a demon talking, by the way. God wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand at times, right? You can't, a, chi a, a, chi a child cannot learn to ride a bike on their own unless you pull back. And Lewis says that's what God does with us in his sovereignty. And if only the will to walk is really there, God is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. The law of undulation. Sowing is hard because there are times when we're down and I've got to say to myself and you've got to say yourself, to yourself, I'm going to go to church today even though I don't feel like it because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to read my Bible today even though I don't feel like it because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to be kind to my spouse and to my children today even though I don't feel like it because it's the right thing to do. What Lewis is saying is the fact that you're tired on the inside doesn't mean that God isn't with you. So keep sowing. 
Here's under this point. Here's the last thing. Sowing can be difficult. Not growing weary can be difficult uh, because we go through spiritual seasons and the results aren't immediate. Finally, sowing often involves tears, especially in the Bible. Sowing often involves tears. The Galatians are getting rebuked by the apostle. It's not easy. They probably shed some tears. They're being called to put their faith in a Savior who wept and who bled and who died. They're being called to invest their lives into the lives of other sinners. They're being called to bear heavy burdens from people who are heavily burdened. Galatians 6.1, back in the text, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Here's something interesting from the text. You can say you learned something today. When Paul calls us who are spiritual, people who have the Holy Spirit, to restore people, to restore sinners who are struggling, the word he uses there that the ESV translates restore is a technical word in Greek that means to mend a joint. So you go to a joint that's out of socket and you pop it back in place. That's what sin is. It's when our souls get disjointed and they need to kind of be popped back into place. But Paul is saying Christians are called to go to disjointed people in disjointed places to bring healing. And that's part of why our sowing often involves tears. So the last month in Nashville for for me, for my family, for I mean a lot the whole PCA world has just been it's been like a bad dream. It's been terrible. Many of us are asking when we're going to wake up from the moment of the, the Covenant school shooting. Um, one of my church members uh, died in that shooting. And I've had the opportunity to go to Covenant Prez there where that shooting took place. I've been there twice since it happened. And on Easter Sunday, the service there... Um, I never had experienced anything like it. And one, one thing that stood out to me was a minister, visiting minister, recited Revelation 21 where it says that Jesus will wipe away every tear. And he made the point, and I'd never thought about this, that that's in the new heavens and the new earth, that Jesus says, I will wipe away every tear. And that means until Jesus Christ returns, there is going to be weeping for God's people. That final wiping away is in the future. Now in the service there at Covenant Prez, uh, Sandra McCracken sang a rendition of Psalm 126 that moved me as much as I've been moved in a long time. And Psalm 126 says this, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Here's the version that she sang. Although we are weeping, Lord, help us keep sowing the seeds of your kingdom for the day you will reap them. Your sheaves we will carry. Lord, please do not tarry. All those who sow weeping will go out with songs of joy. The nations will say the Lord has done great things. The nations will sing songs of joy. And this is, we're singing this in church. 
And this is a congregation who ate, what, a week, not, 13 days, something like that, prior. Their pastor's nine-year-old child had been murdered in the very building in which we were singing this. Although we are weeping, Lord, help us keep sowing the seeds of your kingdom, for one day you will reap them. It was like we were all, a thousand people were in there saying, Lord, we're, our inside, inner life is a sigh right now. But Lord, bless it. Use it. And he is using it. He is using it. There's so many people, even the chief of police in Nashville, you know, commented publicly that his faith had been so strengthened by watching what these people were doing in the midst of this horrific tragedy. It's terrible, it's heinous, it's filthy, it's dirty. But even in the midst of that, we say to ourselves, we need to keep sowing. Even if we have to water the seeds with our tears, we have to keep sowing. Now here's the question. This is where we end. How do you find the strength to do that? When the undulations brought you very far down and your life's an inner sigh, how do you find the strength to do that? Well, if you're called to sow, then that means you have to have seeds. So where do you get them from? Jesus said in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, he was the ultimate seed who was going to be planted in the ground of God's wrath and suffer the penalty that our sin deserved so that when he rose up from the dead, he could bear much fruit. And we are that fruit. You're that fruit. You're the fruit of the ultimate seed. And Christ, as the ultimate seed, is the source of our life, the source of our power, and the source of our own fruit. And he says to us, those words that never get tired to me, come to me all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's soul rest he's offering. That's inner rest that he's offering, spiritual rest. It's calling people who are tired on the inside to come to him for rest, for life, for energy, often energy just to keep going, just to keep in, enduring. How do you get that from him? Well, he says, come to me. But that's a little complicated when you can't actually physically see him, right? Well, a beautiful example of this in the Bible that I love, I, I quote this verse to myself all the time, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, uh, King David is surrounded by enemies, and he's weary, believe me. And it says, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him to death, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Key phrase, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's it. I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord my God. I'm going to go to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm, I'm not going to leave until I find strength there. This comes through honest spiritual conversations with other Christians, wrestling with your struggles and with the gospel of Jesus. It comes through worship. It comes through hearing the word preached. It comes through prayer. It comes through the sacraments. But that's the Christian life over and over again, strengthening, strengthening ourselves in the Lord our God, preaching to ourselves over and over again, I know that Christ died for me. I know he rose for me. I feel empty on the inside, but I can go to him and be filled up. One, non, one 
say non-biblical example, let's say an example outside of the Bible of this working in a movie, the classic chariots of fire. Harold Abrahams is tired on the inside. I'm not setting a, I know not all of you have seen the movie, but these men are running in the Olympics, uh, running for the gold, sprinting. And Harold Abrahams, this world-class sprinter, he's, he's doesn't know the Lord and he's tired on the inside, and as he's preparing for the biggest race of his life, he utters those famous words, in this race I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And I heard a pastor once use that quote as an admonition to his elders, and he said, I think we need to hear that. We all need to justify our existence from time to time, and he went on to Tell them they needed to be doing more, right? They needed to be doing more, doing more, doing more. And I'm thinking to myself, that's the last thing these people need to hear. If I have to justify my existence, my existence will never be justified. Uh, knowing what I know about myself. But on the other hand, you have Eric Liddell, the other sprinter. Oh, but by the way, let me say this. I was reciting that from memory, but that's not exactly what Abraham said, and it's not what the, uh, the minister quoted. What Harold Abrahams actually said in the movie is, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. That's different than ten seconds. Ten lonely seconds. Uh, loneliness leads to weariness, and weary people often feel very alone. On the other hand, Eric Liddell the Scotsman refused to race on the Sabbath because he didn't believe he needed to justify his existence because he believed God had justified him through faith in Jesus Christ. And that was all the justification that matters. And he stands on that Sunday while all these other men are racing. And he stands in a lectern in church and he's been asked to do the Old Testament reading. And the scene's cutting back and forth between... Uh, these men in sweating, running, falling, struggling, wearing themselves out, and Liddell reading from Isaiah chapter 40. And this is what he reads. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before him, and they're accounted by him as less than nothing, an emptiness. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. The Lord does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Harold Abrahams was wearing himself out in the flesh trying to justify his existence. Like Pablo Casals, he's saying, when I perform, I feel the world's pressure. Eric Liddell said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. What's going to keep you sewing when you feel like fainting? Do you know where to get power on the inside when you feel tired on the inside? Jesus gives power to the faint. He gives strength to the weak. Strengthen yourself in the Lord 
because they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, there's something today, something this week, something this month, that you need to sow. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to share the gospel with somebody that you've been too nervous to share it with. Maybe you need to make a hard phone call that you've been putting off. Maybe you need to apologize to your spouse or a child for something you've done. There's something you need to sow. The great promise of this passage, no matter how weary you are, sow the seed and Christ will give you the strength. Let us not grow weary in doing good. And let us pray. Father, thank you for your mercy to us on this day. Help us in our weariness to mount up with wings as eagles through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Now let's stand together and sing stanzas one and two of hymn number 252, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're privileged today to worship the Lord, not only in word, but also in sacrament. Uh, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, is a sacrament of God's covenant of grace, wherein he offers us the Lord Jesus Christ, his body and blood, along with all of his benefits, as he's offered to us in the gospel if you are here today and you're not a believer, or if you're a believer who is trapped in some heinous cycle of sin that you seem to be unable to get out of and you haven't repented, uh, then we would, we would ask you to let these elements pass down the aisle without partaking of them. But if you're a believer here today and maybe you're weary, maybe you're worn out, this table is just what you need. Because here you feed upon the body and blood of Jesus Christ through faith. And this meal is a means of grace. It's a means of growth. It's meant to strengthen us. It's meant to empower us. It's meant to embolden us uh, to keep sowing. Keep sowing. So the night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread 
and broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Take, eat. Do this in remembrance of me. We will distribute the elements. Please hold on to them, and we will partake of the bread together at the same time.
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The body of Christ for you. Before we partake, let us pray. Father, would you now take this, these common elements, bread and the cup, and would you consecrate them for a holy use, that by faith we might feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Take and eat the body of Christ for you. And after he had eaten, they had eaten supper, the Lord Jesus Christ took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can a nursing mother forget her child? Even these may forget, but the Lord your God will not forget you. He's engraved you on the palms of his hands. The blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's stand together now and sing stanzas three and four of hymn number 252. Uh, just a reminder, we're going to be eating outside after the service, so before we dismiss, let me pray for God's blessing upon our meal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the Christian Sabbath. Thank you for the Lord's Day and the refreshment that we've just received in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. May it spiritually energize us, and now may the food that we're about to partake of uh, physically energize us. Bless it now to the nourishment of our body and our fellowship to your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.